welcome back to the podcast and this show sees the return of John Farnan to the show. Uh, Mr. Panorama street photographer, pinhole extraordinaire. So uh, John needs very little introduction, so it was great to catch up with him uh, after a few years. Hello and welcome back to the Lensless Podcast, it's show 135 that's uh, oh it's a photo mar- a photo milestone show so it's a film format show we had 120 now we've got 135 excellent um what a uh, what a treat to have a returning guest to mark the milestone film photography format show um our guest last appeared on the show in july 2019 and since then the world went to hell in a handbasket and we're slowly crawling back out of it, um, although we could, uh, we, we could argue about the state of the world and the state of the economy, but we won't go there. So we're very pleased uh, to have uh, John Farnham back on. How are you doing, John? I'm good, mate. What about you? How are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm all right, you know, you know, yeah. Soldiering on. Bearing up, as I tell people. <laughs> yeah, they, they say something up here, it's called, you ask people, how are you, and they go, oh, I'm surviving. And I go, yeah. oh, please don't tell me that. Just say you're having a great day or something. Yeah. You know? But it's always grim in Scotland, isn't it? So, you know, just at the moment, you've got Storm Babette, you know, giving red red warnings and flooding streets and wind and stuff. We've definitely got interesting weather, that's for sure. You know, I, mean, it, yeah. I think the average so, rainfall in the Glasgow area is about a lot. <laughs> and it rains <laughs> at least every second day. You know, it's, it's, that's what it feels like anyway. But that, that can be great. This is a very professional segue. That can be great for um, image making, can't it? You know, some of the, um, so, some of the be- when I look back at uh, some photo books, uh, things like New York streets, you know, Times Square, uh, things that were done um, in the 50s and 60s by people like Saul Leiter. And you know, he's, he's, I think also because the, it wasn't LED lighting, there's something about those warmer lights the neons and the street lights and the reflections in the, in the, on the ground you know and it must be just like that in glasgow as do you know sometimes i struggle when the ground's not wet you know simply because i am so used to you know looking at the ground and thinking <laughs> right here's the exposure when it's not wet i think what would they do with this you know because yeah. it looks so weird and there's no reflection there's nothing happening with it. It's just like anywhere else in the world. So it's weird. Yeah. yeah. Well, so much has happened since you, we last had you on the show. I've yeah. no idea what we talked about last time. If I was a true professional, I would have listened back to the show. So um, if, if folks are, are interested to hear all about John and uh, how he got into photography and all those sort of normal questions that I'm not going to ask him this time, then go back to show 63 and uh, and take a listen and then and then you can and then you can listen listen to this one so john well i've written a quite a, a few notes down to try and steer the conversation a little bit but like like most shows we'll just uh, we'll, we'll just see where it goes so since 2019 um what's life been like for you and what um what what what's your photography been like so broad brush sort of description yeah. first since we last spoke yeah life's been okay you know, uh, it's yeah. I've been to quite a few places since 2019, uh, especially after COVID. You know, during COVID, I went nowhere apart from the back garden. Uh, yeah, my photography is 
I would say my my pinhole work has accelerated enormously since two thousand and nineteen. Uh, back then, it formed a small part of it. Now it forms the biggest bulk of my output. Uh, so that is a, a huge step change. What, what? Why do you think it's sort of taken over? I. Hmm. It, it, it's see that connection between what I see in front of me and what what I put on the, the film, it's far easier to express what I see right? rather than having glass in front of it. And, yeah, it's just what I see is basically what I put on the, the image now. With so you're starting to visualise things in terms of mostly panoramic pinhole images? Yeah, I would say that most of my work uh, does come from the panoramic uh, field, especially in the six by seventeen. And I find that it's in a city, you know, you, you can look and see, and you've got a seventeen millimeter lens, and it only brings in so much, right? But when you're sitting with a, like I think it's one hundred and forty degrees field of view on a six by seventeen, it drags everything you see in, and it's difficult to to miss what you're seeing. It's just, it is your vision. Uh, you just don't get it on a lens camera. The, yeah, see, uh, John's listeners, John has, has got this website and it's a really good website and it's up to date, which is more than you can say for most websites that I go and look at. So it's uh, John Farnan, F-A-R-N-A-N.co.uk. And um, you can have a, a, a stoat about his website. I've no idea what that means, but John uses the term quite a lot. I think it just means wandering aimlessly around um, with uh, nothing particular on your mind. Uh, is, it, is that right? Yeah. Stoting about... Yeah, you, you stot- can, well, you... Go on, sorry. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it just basically means stoting about, wandering <laughs> aimlessly, going, just with nothing in particular in mind. You're out with a camera, you're out for a walk, and you just see what's around you. I um, So I've, I've clicked onto your, your Glasgow page and I think these are all mostly six by seventeen. And uh, I, I've played with yours. I think it was your six. Yeah, you did send oh, me a six yeah. by seventeen camera. Yeah, and I made an image of some sunflowers, which I still haven't printed or done anything with. And I, I think because I had your wonderful Glasgow images in my mind, um, I just felt intimidated by it. And I think I was thinking, well, I should be able to just encompass the Fenlands with this thing, but. I don't know. There's something about using it in architecture, you know. I'm staring at a photograph, John, that you made with the reality so subtle. So the reality so subtle is James Guerin's uh, company for folks who uh, who are new to this show and have been living in Mar- on Mars for the last <laughs> uh, uh, last five years or so since we've been talking about it uh, or just talking about reality so subtle. I'm looking at the picture, John, of Alleyway off Gordon Street, okay. which... Um, it's just, I think I think it's been one of my. I've seen this before, and I think it's just one, one of my favourites. It's, um, you know, it's Glasgow, so it's. I think it's been some rain. You know, the the brickwork is rendered sort of slightly, very dark. You know, but and you've got this highlight area in the in in the middle because it's obviously you've got all the dark tones and you've got the, the filmers just struggling at the end in the high, of the highlights in the middle. But that's okay because I think it just adds to the, you know, the, the 
the dramatic nature of the image. And, and you're looking straight down this alleyway, and there's a cone there. Uh, I'm looking right to the edges, and and you know what, uh, James manages to get you know superb quality across across the whole frame, doesn't he, with his six by seventeen? And you know, you just I, I don't words fail me really when I see your street pin pinhole pictures. Thanks, Andrew. I, I don't know what to say, but I, to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I I think you know I, I got the. I was interested in the 6x17 format uh, for a while, uh, and I had a lens 6x17, but I could never quite put into the image what I wanted to convey. And then I got the, the 6x17 uh, from Vermeer. Right? I got one of my friends gave me a loan of it, and I thought, this is beautiful. It works absolutely brilliant, but it's still not doing it. I'm missing the tops of things. And then I got the the one from James, and it was like, holy shockaboli! This just yeah. blew my mind because I could bring the tops of the buildings down and just visualize the, the kind of looming, you know, the way a, a city looms over you. Yeah, I think that's pro- that's probably what it is because I'm I've tagged along a bit now. West George Street, looking to George Square and Queen mm. Street. And all of these are shot with the, the, the horizon towards the bottom or the bottom third, aren't they? With yes. Two thirds to the top. So you're using the top? Yes. Pinhole or bottom pinhole? No. Whichever way around it is. I'm using the top pinhole. The top pinhole. Yeah, that gives you more sky, doesn't it? And, uh, and less land. And of course, the, the cameras, uh, the camera, I, I'm assuming, is pretty. Is upright and level, and you're getting a. That's an, enabling you to just capture those buildings just beautifully. Yeah, I I do try and get it level. I I'm, I'm not out to distort these buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to capture them the way you see them. Whereas with a lens camera, it will distort them. And no matter what you try and do, if it's really wide, you're going to get distortion. With the pinhole like this, it, I re- I really want to try and get those verticals upright uh, and and just get yeah. that sense of height you know yeah. and it's not i don't do it with every bit of my work but i do do it with a lot of it but the buildings i'm quite particular about keeping it level yeah and and of course uh, the building in glasgow are just uh, well the, the the areas that you're going to are just wonderful aren't they to be captured on film i mean they're just they're just shouting out, you know, photograph me with a pinhole camera. Yeah, they are. And, <laughs> and the, because the reality so subtle has a, a, a curved film plane, right? Yeah. It bends the building. So it does distort the reality, but it makes you think that it is reality. It's, it's, yeah. it's weird that way because of that curved, curved uh, film plane, because you do get to fall off the building's fall away from you but that's how it looks when you're you're looking at them with your eye yeah yeah well i'd i'll just commend folks to to john's website and go and look at his in particular his six by uh, 17 work um, so so when you're not in glasgow john you you're doing a lot of traveling aren't you um to various locations uh, for you know holiday you've always got pinhole camera with you i know you're trying to generate new images for uh, partly for sale, but also just for your own pleasure. Yeah. Um, 
um, where, um, where, where has life taken you? Where have your travels been since COVID? Well, I've been across Europe a little bit, uh, and uh, Thailand. My first visit to Thailand. What a place! Uh, although, unfortunately, I couldn't get to travel as much in Thailand as I wanted because my passport was dipped out my pocket. Was uh, it? Yeah, it was. It was dipped out my pocket when I was out uh, one day. And uh, it meant I was stuck in Bangkok uh, for two weeks rather than travelling up to the north of the country. Uh, which... Yeah, but that's a city, isn't it? So it you, is. must been in, you must have been in your element. I was, uh, but it was unexpected. Uh, I wasn't expecting to spend so much time in Bangkok, but it did give me a bit more time to you know, play about with the, the 6x17 and the, the square format that I had with me at the time. Uh, it's a very interesting city. It's so packed. Uh, there's just people everywhere. Uh, and, you know, the one thing I, I hadn't even thought about, right, see, when I went in to report my passport is stolen, the, the policeman wanted a bribe <laughs> for actually really? reporting. Yeah, really? I thought it was just, you know, like people were taking the mickey. Everything had to be done with a bribe. Yep, he wanted a bribe from me to, to report my passport stolen. So how do, I mean, this was a government official? It was, government official, a policeman. A policeman. So you went into a police station and yep. said, I've lost my passport. Yes, my, my son-in-law was with me, so he translated, he's Thai. Okay, and, right. Uh, he was like, he says he's asking us for a bribe, John. He's like, I'm mortified. He says I've never uh, How much did you have to pay him? I didn't pay him a penny. I told him I had no money. Yeah. You know, uh, so you had to get a statement from the police before you can go and approach what the em embassy or no? You can you can just get it. It was just for for a for if I was looking to put an insurance claim. Because okay. Obviously, my yeah. holiday was somewhat disrupted. Of course, uh, yeah. But yeah, it was it was quite quite bizarre. You know that that happens. It didn't spoil my my time, but it just meant I had to photograph more in the city. Uh, but there was a great place there that could develop a film for me, so it was fantastic. It was, like, yeah. was it? There was a there's film lab or labs in Bangkok? Yeah, yeah there's a, a great lab in Bangkok. I can't remember the name of them. And what it do is they'll develop, scan it, and uh, drop it into a, a, a kind of Google uh, drive for you, and you just pick it up. Fantastic. So it's been, I went to Bangkok um, before we had kids, so that would have been 2000. And... No, it wasn't 1994. <laughs> yeah, 1994, so a long, long time ago. And I travelled then with, with film. I recognise some rooftops here. So I'm looking at, again, your 6x17, and it's those orangey-red sloping rooftops of a church or palace or citadel or something. Yeah. Um, and I've been there and, and got some... I was photo I think I was using 35mm slide film when I was there. Um, mm. um, but of course I just travelled and, and brought it home. But you you're using you're using colour film. We'll talk about we'll we'll use this as a segue into colour film usage in a minute. Um, and you also were using this black and white square image. What was that? Was that the reality so subtle? No, that was one of mine. Uh, so that was uh this is a little uh, six by six with a rise function on it but it oh that's one that you made you 3d yeah. printed yourself yeah it's a, okay. it uses a, a hassleblad back so it's, it's really cool oh, okay 
so you've got like a roll film back onto it yeah dead yeah. simple I, and it's you know for me the, the the best function of that is the fact that it's got a rise but I printed it that way yeah i just half of my pinhole cameras that I print i print them with no middle it's literally just a rise function yeah okay well we'll talk about that as well in a minute but okay. just hooking back into thailand mm. um so, so the practicalities of, of travel first of all what do you are you taking your film with you presumably you are taking some film with you and how are you finding it with airports and all the all the who are over scanning and ct scans and all that sort of stuff yeah so i i travel with my film i rarely buy film uh, on location mm. and the reason for that is simply i'm not sure if we'll be able to get it or not yeah uh, so i'd rather travel with it now traveling to thailand w wasn't much of a problem you know i traveled via Sherpals, how you pronounce it in Amsterdam yeah uh, they had CT scanners but they were quite happy to to hand scan it uh, for me and did, did how do you know if it's a CT scanner is it obvious or yeah they're obvious they're absolutely obvious the, the traditional uh, x-ray scanners are just square boxes the CT scanners are quite impressively large by comparison <laughs> and rounded at the top you can't really? them, Andrew. they're just so so different to the, mm. to the, the normal ones so we got to Thailand and I became separated from my luggage, my hand luggage, with all my film and cameras in it. Because normally it doesn't oh. leave my sight. I just I left yeah. it and uh, at the what do you call it, the carousel for getting the other luggage off. I just walked away and left it. So Did you? You see yeah. it's So it was so do you, did you not travel with it as hand baggage? Yeah, on I the plane? did. So it was on, on the plane at a as hand baggage right and i had yeah. it with me but when i picked up my normal luggage i forgot to take my hand luggage with me oh you left it there like yeah. so they're, they're, did they not think it was a bomb or something well what happened there was they took it in for scanning yeah. and they put it through one of the new scanners right right because uh thailand uh, bangkok airport has the new scanners as well as the the normal x-ray ones yeah and i i, I found you know out when it was I picked it up that it had been scanned by the CT scanner mm. uh, which made me a little bit nervous <laughs> as you can imagine but I to be honest I didn't notice any difference on my film and I was very specific when I asked the the security guard what was it scanned with I said was it scanned with one of these ones you can you need to take liquids out he's like no no it was a new one new scanner and I asked my uh, son-in-law to say it in Thai as well, just to make sure there was no, and he's like, no, it was one of the new ones. So either I got extremely lucky or it doesn't do the damage that we expect it to do, but I still wouldn't uh, put it through it as a you know, like kind of due course around an airport. Yeah. So if you're um, on a trip to Thailand, how long did you go for? A couple of weeks? Yeah, a couple of weeks. How many rolls of um, colour and or black and white film did you take? A lot, a lot more than needed, <laughs> which I always do. I take loads uh, more than I need. I've always been the same, but I, I honestly don't know, Andrew. Uh, did you? So did you? Did you know that you were going to be using a lot of color in Thailand? Did you? I mean, if you do any kind of research, it kind of screams color, doesn't it? Really, it does. I, 
I, I bought some colour film to, to go with me. And if you look at my work prior to Thailand, it is mainly black and white. Uh, but I slightly changed uh, from there because of the colours. I thought I'm, I'm going to have to get some some colour in my pinhole work here because I started to do some 35mm work in colour, uh, but I hadn't brought it into my pinhole yet. So I brought it in, in Thailand and I've kind of used a lot. And then you carried on into, was it was New York after Thailand or was that before? Because you got some colour stuff in New York, didn't you? Yeah, New York was after Thailand. So Thailand yeah. was about halfway through last year. New York was earlier this year. Yeah. And I specifically took a 250D with me uh, for my panoramic camera. the one. Uh, so that's the reality, so subtle 35P. It is, yeah. Uh, that's a fairly that's a fairly new development from James, isn't it? Within the last year or so, I guess I'm thinking maybe yeah. two years. No, it's not as long as I think it's only just over a year, if it yeah. is a year, because uh, when I got the first one, it came off. Uh, you know, his first production camera, and uh, I I put one roll of film through it, and I found out it didn't like a specific type of film. Uh, so we we made a slight adaption to it. It's was that the film based? Because some films are on that sort of hard plasticky base, aren't they? Um, no, it was a it was an Orwell film, uh, the N four hundred. So it's a cine film. So I think the sprockets didn't quite line up. Oh right. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't expecting it, and uh, I worked yeah. with James uh, to to work around it. Uh, but then I started using two fifty D. Absolutely no bother whatsoever. It was just that Orwell film, but it's not really that common. So, no. Well, uh, yeah. What the future of Orvo is? Um, well, well. It's, it's a debate. It's a debate. Let's say. Yes. Um, I know they just announced just this last week, so we're in October two thousand twenty-three, and they were talking about uh, color film again. Even though I think people are expecting some other color film that they've probably paid for, but I know it's. Um, uh, the factory, as I understood it, was kind of kind of closed. Um, you know, I had a long conversation with uh, the UK agent on the telephone, and he was most despondent uh, yes. about it all. So yeah. we'll we won't say too much about that, but um, we we hope that that factory somehow gets going and starts production again because their UN fifty four is one of my favourite films. You know. Yeah, and they do quote for other manufacturers. It has yeah, a they do. Effect. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, the Shanghai is one of them, and Lomography. So, uh, um, and all I believe those guys. Might, I believe they might do a bit of quoting for Adox as well. Yeah. Mm. So it has a huge ripple effect on the, the market. Yeah. So were you using two fifty D in? Uh, no, I guess you weren't. Were you not in Thailand? You were no. using two fifty D for thirty five mil. What was the color stock you were using in? In Thailand, John. Hector. It's Hector. good, isn't it, for pits? Yeah. It's good. It's it's probably when I my color pinhole camera because I have a pinhole camera that just uses color film. It seems to work well. So that's my uh, um, Terrapin six by six Oscar um, Todd uh, uh, Todd Todd's camera, and I just use Hector in that all the time, and you don't normally have to worry too much about exposure times. Um, you know, not you know it's fairly consistent isn't it and uh, up to a couple of minutes or so and it's just it works really well and uh, you're you I, I i love the one you've done of that guy with his head <laughs> under the bonnet of the car yeah 
I couldn't resist, Andrew. Did he I, know? Did Did you set that up? Do you, presumably, you set the tripod up because you're a little way off the ground, aren't you? You're probably a couple of feet or so, two or three feet. Oh no, the, the tripod's uh, it looks as if it's a couple of feet, but I only travelled with a. Uh, my tripod there is about. It's no more than about twelve inches tall. It's a, okay. It's a tiny wee thing. I might have had it on something, uh, but bearing in mind I was using the rise on the camera there, so it's oh pulled, yeah, it's pulled everything down. My my tripod uh, didn't turn up because my luggage never arrived in uh, Thailand either. So I only had my small one, which I use all the time now anyway. Yeah. Is that one of those little Manfrotto ones or three-legged ones or something? No, different one? I have one of them, uh, but I also have a, I don't know what make it is, but I've got an Arca Swiss head on it, and it's three-section, and it goes up to about it's maybe a foot, a foot and a half it goes up to. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a, a good, useful height. Did yeah. this guy know you were setting up a pinhole camera behind him? Well, I was sitting there for about four minutes getting this exposure. It's, <laughs> it's a lot darker than it looks. Uh, yeah, it was about four minutes long, that exposure. Mm. So he, he couldn't have avoided me. Uh, he, he obviously seen me. Uh, but he didn't pay me any attention because his taxi had broken down. Oh, it's a taxi, yeah, of course it is. Yeah. yeah. So what um, what sort of react do you find that the reaction you're getting from folks varies? I mean, let's compare and contrast Thailand with with America. Like when you were in, um, uh, you got some images that you shared of Grand Central Station, which are just fantastic. So what um, what sort of response did you get in parts of the states compared to Thailand? Was there any any anecdotes or stories? Well, the, when I was in Grand Central Station. Uh, sorry, Grand Central Terminal. Uh, I had set up my camera to do the exposure, and I think it was 40 minutes long, Andrew. I think it was. It was an incredibly long exposure. And in the, in the last minute, right, a security guard said, you can't use a tripod in here. And I just smiled at him. You know, because uh, I'm thinking, I know I'm in the last minute here. I'm like, yeah, no bother. Just smile down at him. I'll move it. You know, Andrew, it was on one of those Manfrotto ones. You know, the little tiny ones. Well, and, and you would have had it resting on a wall or something, wouldn't you? It was. Down? It was resting on the, the wall that overlooks. Well, I mean, that's that's a proper that's a proper jobs worth thing to say to you, isn't it? You it know, was, but... because I'd had many of their security people walk past me, smile at me. I'd said hello to them. And nobody had batted an eye. This guy came up and I was like, come on, give me a yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're in the middle of a street or in the middle yep. of a shopping centre or something with a big Manfrotto, you know, tripod with the legs sprayed, right? You you're you're possibly creating a bit of a trip hazard or something. I don't know. You know, people can't see it. I don't know why they couldn't see it, but but there you're just you know, you'd have been standing there, you could have been standing there, you could have had a you know your lunchbox on there, couldn't you? Yeah. you know, for, or a, you know, a can of coke or something. I mean, it wouldn't. I mean, that's just a silly thing to say to you. But <laughs> after four, after forty minutes, a minute is neither here no. nor there, is it? It was neither here nor there. And it's like, like, I compare and contrast that, you know, with when I was in Romania and I'd been standing on a bridge overlooking a like an underpass uh, for probably about the same sort of time because it was a. Uh, getting quite dark and it was a four by five pinhole camera I was using and the police come up to me 
and they asked me what I was doing. And I says, I'm, I'm making a photograph of the thing. And they looked at the camera and went, oh, okay, on you go. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> and away you go. But I, I just smile at people, Andrew, when they come up to me and, uh, you know, try and engage them. Uh, yeah, just try and engage them. Or play the dumb tourist. That sometimes works as well. Uh, keep them talking, right? So especially a pinhole. Keep them talking until your exposure is going to basically be done. Uh, I remember doing that under the what bridge was it? One of the bridges in Manhattan, and I was underneath it taking a photo. And it was my large format camera. Was it wasn't pinhole, but it was about two minute exposure, and I went over the fence and under the bridge to get it. And then these park officials come up and they're like, "What are you doing? Are you filming?" I'm like, "No, no, no. I'm just taking a photo." And I'm thinking. Right, okay. So I fled the dumb tourist. No, I just walked up here. It's a really nice place to take a picture. He's like, but that's a film camera. You are filming. I'm, like, I'm not filming. It's it's an old camera. It's a large format camera. It takes one picture and it just takes a minute or two to take it. And I just kept them talking. Right? And the guy's like, well, normally we would write you up a ticket. Really? What for? Yeah, well, that's what I said. I said, what for? for going over that fence area. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. like, but where I went over, I says, was just there. There was no fence. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's like, yeah, but you shouldn't have went behind the fence. I'm like, okay, but I just kept them talking. And that's mm-hmm. something I've used an awful lot of is a smile and keep them talking, Andrew. And it works every time, no matter where you are in the world. Well, that's good to know. I shall, um, I shall apply it diligently. Yeah. Um, so, um, you, you, in New York, you'd moved on, you discovered that you like colour photography mm. and you like colour in pinhole and uh, why, why wouldn't you? Because it's just fabulous. So you, what are your options these days? You know, it's, um, it's not cheap, is it? You know? It's not cheap. Uh, it's not cheap at all. Colour film is, it's, in, in reality, it's no cheaper than it was, uh, more expensive than it was in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. But because we went through a phase of basically manufacturers selling it at cost or less, we became very used to low prices on it. Mm-hmm. So now it, it's actually getting up to the price where it really should be. Uh, but it doesn't make it, you know, great to buy. So I've been using the, the motion picture film. So uh, the 250D, the 500T, and uh, the 50D, uh, because they're cheaper, and you can spill as much of it as you want. Uh, buy a roll of 100 feet for about 100 quid. That gives you approximately 18 rolls, which represents incredible value for money. It does. Yeah, I've been, uh, I mean, I, my, my, uh, my, my film use is fairly, fairly low, really. I'm not burning for it hugely, and I'm, having to juggle between film and paper and darkroom stuff and bits and bobs each month. But um, I, I I did, I, I'm just on the verge really of, of diving into some probably 250D. Uh, um, but I'll probably initially just buy some from, there's a, a few uh, resellers, aren't there, either in the UK or there's that Chinese one as well. Um, and even those prices look, you know, aren't bad compared to, you know, the price of, 
normal other option there you know it's each each world's a few quid a few quid cheaper but i was struggling to find any um reliable sources for like 100 feet as um where do you get yours from or is it top secret <laughs> there's no secret uh, there's plenty of people on ebay for a uh, hundred feet or you know if you wanted you could club in with you know like four of these and buy 400 feet of it for a couple of hundred quid from frame 24 i think it is oh i've seen frame 24 yeah uh, it's about 220 plus the bar which still works out incredibly cheap right mm. And I think that's where everybody buys theirs from. Uh, the people right, that okay. hundred, because if you're buying four hundred feet for two hundred and twenty quid plus the bat, and you're selling a hundred and five pound for a hundred feet, you can make a reasonably good profit there. Yeah, yeah. From doing See, four hundred feet. If I if I bought four hundred feet, which is a, an interesting idea. Um, I mean, my bulk. Someone was making a bulk loader, weren't they, on on a Kickstarter thing? I, I'm sure for a 400 foot bulk loader. I don't know what happened to that, uh, whether it whether it happened or not. But most folks have got like a 100 foot bulk loader, haven't they? So you're, I guess, you're then in the dark. Have you bought 400 feet? Are you then in the dark? Sort of I haven't sp spooling some off. I mean, what, you'd have to sort of, I don't know. Yeah, sort of somehow transfer it, wouldn't you, in the dark onto the into your into your Watson loader? Yeah, you can you can get it. Somebody's made a a three D printed thing, obviously, right, which has four hundred feet on one side and a hundred feet on the other side. That sounds so, great, doesn't so it? So you just roll it around. Uh, I think Neil Dorman he he does it as well uh, with some rigging he's got. But as long as you've got the right width of it and you know the width of a hundred foot roll. Yeah, that's true. You know, you can basically just roll it until you've got that amount in front of you. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's something for the future. Uh, I'm, I'm. See, I'm not. A, uh, I'm, uh, for pinhole work, uh, I've never been a true lover of thirty-five uh, millimeter. Uh, which is, so I'm. In, I was interested to see when James launched his thirty-five p uh, camera which was his first venture wasn't it into 35 millimeter and, and you of course being a, a brand ambassador for reality so subtle um i don't know if you officially are but that's what you <laughs> seem to be um of course you had one of those and what what's so what's what's the attraction to 30 go on sell it to me what's the attraction to 35 millimeter pinhole photography because doesn't it just get a bit kind of unclear and and not great really yeah, you know, I tried a few different uh, 35 mil pinhole cameras and that, and I wasn't that keen. I, I yeah. just, I just didn't like them. I, I thought they were really, you were dealing with gold ball grain. That's yeah. what it looked like on a, yeah, on on any film you used, and I got initially I got the 35 R from James. Oh, that's the one that has a pinhole on both sides, so you can use yeah. it to. Make, make red scale pictures, which is shooting through the through, through the the back of the film, yep. the wrong side of the film, or you can use it conventionally, can't you? Yeah, and you can use the the anti halation layer on the the black and white film to add additional like contrast or whatever. Because if you get a blue anti halation, it'll have that impact of having a blue filter on it. Oh, never thought of that. Yeah, so you, if, as long as you know what your anti halation layer color is. You can use it to your own, you know, best advantage with the the R. So with with Fomapan, you can use it to lighten greens. Yes. Wow. 
<laughs> Mind blown, eh? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's worth experimenting with it, right? So I got one of them from James. He gave me it. Right? I was getting another camera from him. I think I was getting another 6017. And uh, he, he just sent me it. He says, it's, it's, it's a wee bit kind of rough around the edges because he they'd made a mistake on the engraving or something. So he sent me over. And it's a great wee camera. But it's, it's just, for me, it's just too restrictive, right? Uh, because it's a 35mm frame. Mm-hmm. It has the cute sprockets, which are really good, right? But it's still a thirty-five mil frame for me. So I don't use it a huge amount. But what I did notice when I was using it is, is that uh, the it didn't look like golf ball grain anymore, right? and it is because of those beautifully laser-cut pinholes of James. Yeah, it really makes a huge difference on the camera, especially in the smaller size and the bigger ones. You can get away with drilled or a normal pin, which I do in some of mine. Right? Uh, but on the smaller ones, you need to be absolutely, it needs to be spot on, and they are without doubt. So, so when he said he was launching the 35p, I was like, count me in, right? because I love the the sprocket counter, you know, on the, the 35R, so when you, you roll it on, you can count the sprockets, it's like click, click, clicks, and that's how you know how far in advance you are with the frame. Yeah, because with um... Otherwise, you've you've got you've got to try and um, work it out with a dummy roll, and you invariably get variable spacing, don't you? As you go through winding on, as the, as the film gets thicker and thicker. That's right. You get yeah. Either the spaces get wider apart. I think that's probably right, um, or the other way around. But anyway, you, when you look at your roll, you'll see ever increasing gaps between the frames. That's right, and it you end up wasting an awful lot of film because of that. Yeah, so this, yeah. so this little clicker that James has on his, which comes in and out eh, with a magnet, right? Because you can't rewind it if the clicker's in place because it will literally just tear the sprockets. You, okay. need to dis- you need to disengage it. So there's a little thing on the top of the camera to disengage it with. Eh, that's absolutely brilliant. It blew my mind. <laughs> click, <laughs> click, click. <laughs> Nine clicks and you're, you're on because it's seven clicks for a frame. And one either side or the okay, face. yeah. And in the panorama, it's eighteen. So that's a what's that? Is that two? So that's fourteen plus an extra two either side there. And you just click it away. And that's when people start to look at you, Andrew, when they hear this click, especially mm-hmm. on a, a plane. I was flying. Where was I going? I think I was going back. <laughs> yeah, I was going back from Leicester a couple of weeks ago, and. I was winding my camera on, and the girl next to me, she's like, what, what's happening here? And I'm like, it's okay, I'm just winding my camera on, uh, because it's near enough for the end of the roll. <laughs> it's just, just, she wasn't buying it at all, so I just put it away. You know? I think the only camera I've got that makes a noise like that is my 1960s Diana F, and um, that makes a clicking noise when you wind the film on. Yeah, it's, 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 it, but it does make people look at your camera, uh, and they wonder what it is, and it does sometimes... You know, elicit a conversation. Yeah. But, but back to the 35p, it's beautiful. It is so beautiful, and it has sprockets as well. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the sprockets, but see if you leave them in it, it gives a different dimension to the image that you wouldn't normally have. <clears throat> so, does it have to be sprockets, or can can it be sprocketless? Well, the sprockets are are all are automatically captured, right? But you yeah. just See if you just put it in a normal 35mm holder, 
you know, mm-hmm. on your enlarger or on your scanner. Yeah, well, you don't have to have them in, do you? You don't need no. to have them in, but if you're scanning it, you should pick a neutral point without sprockets, right? So do it in the middle of the image, or it will, if you just let it do the, the kind of automatic scanning. Yeah, I saw, who was, um, James was very gently picking up somebody on uh, on Facebook or Twitter. It might have yeah. been Rene, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and saying, hmm, uh, yes, you, 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 you use it. How are you scanning that, Rene? And mm-hmm. he said, oh, I'm just scanning it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you need to be quite specific when you're scanning it at you. Don't allow it to meter itself for the sprockets, or it will throw your whole exposure off. Yeah, I think I've had some experience with that when I was. I mean, I've I've not done uh, pinhole sprocket photography, but I've done a fair bit of other sprocket photography and scanned scanned them uh, using that lomography digitalizer device thingy, Bob. You know, I don't you know what I'm talking about. No, the, it's that. a it sits on a flatbed scanner. So I mean, I've only got an Epson V. 500. Mm-hmm. Um, although I might be getting a 750 soon that someone's giving me. That's exciting, isn't it? So um, uh, I can only do one 120 film uh, negative scanning. So Lomography do these devices that sit on the flatbed. And you can do, um, it'll take three frames of 120. And then, or it'll do whole strips of 35 millimeter um, with the sprockets. So um, uh, that's how I digitise sprockety pictures. I found a, a trick for digitising my sprockety pictures, right? And I use the 120 holder, mm-hmm. and then I basically just tape an extra bit of a leader onto it so that the 120 holder yeah. plays, rather than putting it flat on this on the the glass. Yeah, so that's how I. Yeah, do. that would work. Yeah, works brilliantly. Yeah, but the Lomography devices are pretty, are, are pretty, are pretty neat. It's a, a very good way of scanning. On the odd occasion that I use my six seventeen back on my large format camera, then you know, I, I can't print. I can only print six by twelve um, using my Devere five hundred four. So, if I want a six by seventeen result, I, I've got very little option but to to scan it. So the Lomography devices are not expensive, and they're pretty well made and seem to work pretty well. Mm, I'll have a look at it, uh, see what it does. I, I can't yeah. print in the dark from my 6x17 either. I do have a 5x7 enlarger, but it's sitting down yeah. my my friend's place. I need to go and pick it up, but it will need converted uh, because the what's it, cold cathode is oh, yeah. on mm-hmm. it. So I'll convert it to LED or I'll yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. I think if someone offered me a six by seven enlarger, it'd be lovely, but, um, I, you know, probably not anything I'm going to, um, get anytime soon. So what about developing, uh, I know the answer to this question, but uh, folks who haven't been party to our messages over time. Um, so 250 D is a movie originally designed by as a co Well, it was Kodak stock, isn't it really for movie making? Uh, so it has that backing on it, that what they call the REM jet. Yeah. And also, it's designed for the um, the chemistry ECN two, which is um, is available from various suppliers uh, in the UK and elsewhere, I guess. Um, but folks also develop it in C forty one, which I think you do too. Yeah, yeah I develop it in C forty one. I've developed it in ECN two as well, uh, but 
I really don't know it's that much difference, to be honest, Andrew. It, it, mm -hmm. it comes out looking much the same, but the durability of the C41 chemicals is better. Right? So it'll last longer, and the shelf life is better as well. That's right. my experience of it, so that's why I use C41 rather than ECN2. Yeah, because you're pushing your your. I know your last lot of Bellini chemicals, and I've I've got I've got my last lot with Bellini as well, and both for RA four color prints and for C forty one. I I think I did get up to, well maybe it was with Cine Still with the Cine this last Cine Still kit I had, I probably got to twenty five rolls, and and to be honest, it was still producing um, uh, pretty pretty good images, you know. Um, but I I just thought. Uh, you know when to get out when I, mean, I was over 30 with the, the Bellini kit mm. and I thought I'm stopping at this point uh, the negatives still look good but I don't have the sparkle that they might have had uh, 25 rolls earlier uh, they're a little bit thinner but they're not anything that you would go is unprintable uh, they would be perfectly printable in an enlarger and they're great for scanning but I thought it's time to stop you know you, you just well, imagine, yeah, I mean, it's okay if you're just, if you're not emotionally connected to the images in any way, but imagine, you, you know, you've just been to Thailand or America and you come back and, I mean, you've got to really, you come back from a, a trip like that, you, you're not going to risk it, are you, at 30, you know, you're going to, surely you're going to get a new kit. Well, I, I don't know, I was, uh, no. <laughs> those images I, I was developing in their <laughs> Right, okay. <laughs> so, I don't know, Andrew. I, I chanced it, but a lot of the time I would buy a, a new. I would buy at least new developer, right? Because you can you can use the the, the blitz or the bleach and the. Oh, that goes on forever, doesn't it? I think. Yeah, it does. It goes on for so much longer uh, mm. than the chemicals. Uh, but this time, that covered you know that covered from New York all the way through to Croatia. So that's yeah. a lot. That's a lot of images. Yeah, the C41 stuff keeps keeps well. I mean, my last batch um, I made up earlier in the year, and I, I, am I still? Yeah, I've, I've still got. Yes, it's still in the dark room. I think I'm up to seventeen or eighteen. So that's like that's still a puppy, isn't it? Compared to you know, as far as you're concerned, I can probably go again for another fifteen at least. You know, yeah. but I, that was like March, and I, I. I use a vacuum stopper on it these days. You know, I used to use the spray gas, you know, on the yeah. top of it, but but now I've used a vacuum stopper, and you know, it seems to it seems to march on and 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 still be okay. Still, well, I developed some rolls just recently, and it was fine. Yeah, um, I'm definitely not as technologically advanced as you, Andrew. I buy a bottles of juice from one of the local stores that cost me about 70 pence or something and they come in clear plastic bottles that I can crunch mm, <laughs> so yeah. as, as I yeah. use that they crunch yeah, the well, that, that keeps it keeps the air out as well but they might they might not be they might not be fully um, uh, gas tight in terms of you know letting oxygen through a lot of those plastics particularly thin ones will, will still let oxygen through but you know the proof of the pudding's in the eating isn't it if you're getting good results then don't worry about it really whatever method you're using but i've got i've got a stack of glass bottle i've got so many glass but if, if anyone wants any brown glass liter bottles i've probably got about 30 sitting in the dark room wow. not in the dark room outside that i was given recently 
um, and and if folks if folks want them, the only trouble is, is is sending them. You know, I mean, if you if you see me or you come you come here, then go home with some glass bottles. But uh, you know, I mean, posting them might be more problematic. But I've got I've got um, I've got a load. If anyone wants them. Well, you know, on that, Andrew, I managed to bring back lots of glass from New York <laughs> in my suitcase, packed in the hold. Yes, you know, so, yeah, yeah, gla- glass, yeah. glasses, you know, and uh, bottles of sauce and all sorts. I know, yeah. And had no it's just a pain posting them, isn't it, really? Yeah. It's my apathetic side coming out, but I do have them here. And uh, Yeah, I was, I was gifted a load of darkroom stuff uh, recently, and some of it I've kept and some stuff I've passed on, you know, cause I said, I said, Oh, well, I'll, you know, I'll take it, but uh, he didn't want anything for it. And some of it, I'm not just taking it to hoard stuff. I said, well, I'll, I can use a few bits and bobs, you know, but I've got a copy stand that's going to someone. Um, I've got a, uh, a few print developing tanks that are going to someone. I gave Simon Forster, a um, five or six stainless steel reels for his use in the, Six towns, uh, dark room, you know. Um, so, yeah. And, and he gave me this box of brown Winchester litre bottles. So, you know, I've got them, got the bloody things coming out of my ears, really. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but brown, brown Winchester, glass, storage, and, and wine stoppers. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I don't so, use any as fancy as that. But it's I not fancy. It's not fancy. Don't, don't use old drinks bottles. Mm-hmm. Don't. Well, it, it, the proof of the pudding is new. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. It's 30 plus rolls mm. from one of those Bellini kits. Actually, yeah. I believe me. Normally, I, I cut my losses at 15. Yeah, but it's a it's a variable you could easily eliminate, John. You know, if you just if you just listen to me and use glass. Yeah. You know, and don't. But my father used to say, "Don't spoil the ship for hating the tar." <laughs> anyway, you've um. Uh, what what's James Guerin said to you now you've gone and bought another camera that isn't one of his uh, he's just said he liked it it's built like a, a tank uh-huh. so what have you bought so you bought I mean I, I know you bought you, we've mentioned all the ones that you have got I know you've got pretty much every camera in his range including his uh, pipe bomb camera which um, mm-hmm. he, he um, sells to folks in Northern Ireland oh, and, uh, and uh, but you've <laughs> I didn't really just say that out loud, did I? Yeah, I, I know you're going to have to cut that out of the show. <laughs> I can't do any editing. I don't know how to do it. So um, the um, eight, eight banner multi-format camera, which um, you've yeah. shared a picture of somewhere, probably in the Lensless Podcast Facebook group, 6x12, 6x9, 6x6, and 6x45. You see, I don't really – I had an on-do multi-format camera when it first launched, and I, I just didn't like it. I think – I get two. I'd rather have one that does one thing, you know, and does it well, than than one where I have to. If I want to shoot six by six, I'm not going to take a huge thing that takes all these other multi formats, am I? Really, I'm going to take a six by six camera that I can put in my pocket. Yeah, I can't argue with that, Andrew. I'm exactly good. Scared. I thought you. I thought you would have argued with it. Go on, no, you, you disappoint no. me. That would be that. That's just silliness, right? Do you know what I mean? If you want to. I got it because it's a six twelve, right? Yeah. I, I have enough six six. Haven't you got a reality six twelve then? I haven't, no. Oh. I haven't. Yeah, I don't. It's, it's literally the only one I don't have. Uh, because I, I'm not a, a huge fan of six twelve, but I'm trying to force myself. Yeah. To shoot it. 
Uh, a lot of I see. I think I think it's quite a nice aspect ratio. But if you're used to six seventeen, you're probably feeling it's almost like you're restricting yourself again, isn't it? Yes, it's like shooting with six by six. It's it's that small. <laughs> uh, so it's I'm just trying to force myself to use six by twelve. And this I got it at a good price, and it's a beautifully made camera. Uh, it's just it is beautifully made. Yeah, because if you've got it and it that's the maximum size it does when and you're just using it for that well that's fine isn't it i'll i'll, I'll let you have that but if you if you've bought it because you want to shoot six by six four five frames well that's just like an idiot decision isn't it really that would be just plain silly yes i, I, just, I wouldn't do that I would just no no of course not no but buying it because it's six by twelve i think is um is fine so I'll, I'll let you have that but i do understand and i've i've got james's six by twelve um purely because i thought i'll buy that because then i can print from it and I don't use it an awful lot, to be fair. Um, but when I have used it, um, I've loved the results it's given. You know, I really have. Mm, I think panoramic format, you, you either love it or you you toy with it. Yeah. You know, there's I don't think there's any in between. I think either you you live and breathe it or you just get out. I love my. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I've never been able to afford a wide lux i know you've got one um yeah but i do have a couple of the very basic horizon cameras the one with like two shutter speeds one with a 60th at f i don't know eight probably and uh, one with a second so um mostly depending on the weather i either put 100 speed film in or 400 speed or just 400 in and you, I, and I just love, I just love that swing lens panoramic camera, and it's probably at this year it's possibly the one camera um, I've used more more than any is my uh, is my little Horizon, and um, you've got the Wide Lux, haven't you? One of the F seven, F eight, I don't know what it is. You've got, uh, and you've uh, you've used it in the Glasgow Underground to great effect. Yeah, it's you know I. I... I wanted to do panoramic work in the, the underground and undergrounds where I go, but having I, I did it in Romania, uh, but using that tactic of well, it's going to take me two minutes here, let's use Google Translate to actually translate what I'm saying, so it takes me long enough, and I wanted something that I could use for you know just a point and shoot basically. Yeah, you know, and and that is the difference. It, I got a camera specifically with street work and uh, underground work in mind. That was it. It's not going to be a landscape camera for me because I have plenty of cameras that do landscapes. Right? It is specifically for that. And yeah, and I think it excels at streets. I mean, I use my. I mean, it can look around corners, can't it? Really yeah. well. Yeah. And it just, it just, and I quite like it when you tilt it off the off the vertical because then it just does weird, weird things with lines and stuff. Yeah, yeah it's they're, they're they're bonkers cameras. They yeah. are absolutely bonkers. I've got the KMZ, the FT two. Uh, yeah. It's fifty mil, which for me is a little bit tight. Uh, I prefer a really wide camera, and but the way it bends, the reality the same as the the curved plain pinhole yeah when you tilt that off the well right. even if you even if you keep it straight if you're looking at uh yeah it bulges a bit in the middle it looks to looks to bulge in the middle a bit doesn't it 
Yeah, and then it'll bend off. Yeah. You just hold it slightly off, it will bend round the corner, which in a, an underground setting is fantastic. Right? Yeah. As long as you remember, if something's moving, you need to make sure that movement is going the same way as the swing. Because if it's going in the opposite direction to the swing, it will compress the movement and you lose that whole deliciousness of it moving. Mm-hmm. I mean, even you go online now to try and find a, a cheap horizon and even the bog standard ones, you know, you a few years ago, probably just around COVID time, you could still go on and buy a old stock, new inverted commas, S3 horizon for 100 quid you know because i i had one it leaked like a so-and-so but uh, you know i had one and there was a guy online selling those for anywhere between 90 and 120 pounds but even the basic horizons now um, seem to just be people wanting stupid money yeah i seen one the other day there and it was about three or four hundred pounds and then another one at 500 pounds yeah, it's, thinking, it's daft isn't it seriously you know i I saw an absolute bargain of a wide lux on eBay a couple of weeks ago, and I thought I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. Much as I want another camera, another mm-hmm. wide lux, I thought I'm not going to do it. So I passed it on to someone else I know who was looking and said, "You need to buy this." Basically, you know, and he got it for an absolute steal. I, yeah. You know, but that's really. Well, I, I, I've deliberately. I've I've now removed the eBay app off my phone. <laughs> um, I, I do occasionally dip in if there's something comes to mind, but I found myself on it a lot, and it's very unhealthy. Yeah, I was exactly the same, Andrew. I I had all these uh, things set up to tell me when mm. you know something yeah. coming up, and the last remaining one that I had set up was wide locks. Yeah. And it was just fortuitous that I hadn't deleted it. And literally, this guy had posted it some like 10 minutes before my, uh, you know, notification time. And as I say, I just said to one of my pals, I said, well, you go for it. And he got it for an absolute steal. I don't think it'll ever be a steal that low again, ever. Yeah, I mean, the people who had wide luxes, um, Jeff, uh, I think when I read the interview, the original interview in in, Sil- in Silver Grain Classics, as it was probably called then. Um, I think he was saying, I oh, had to. He ended up buying two or three of them because invariably one would break, or there'd be some banding issue, or some some other issue, which was always difficult to fix. So he had to have two or three spares. You know, I think that always put me off. Thought, well, what if it goes wrong? I'm not quite sure. Because that Roger Lee, who does uh, he does Russian camera repairs in the UK, he's He's fixed my LCA very reasonably. I think he charged about 40 quid or something to do a full service and, and a repair. And um, I know he does feds and Kievs and stuff, but he won't touch swing lens things because I asked him. Okay, well, camera attics uh, in Edinburgh do them. Do they? Yeah, I yeah. think you, yeah, I'm sure I've, I remember you saying that. So that's, yeah, that's good. since I've sent mine there, quite a few people have sent them. And mm. he's very, very reasonable in price. As a service, and it gets it back to you in about a week normally, uh, which is is absolutely brilliant. Right. Well, I'm not I'm not going to do a search on eBay for wide lux. Um, oh, don't. No, don't. You're looking at on average about 
800 to anywhere upwards from there. And 800 is coming in from Japan. Yeah. Well, if you bring it from Japan, that's 25%, 30% more than on top of that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I got mine, luckily enough, from someone in the UK who kind of know each other via Twitter. And, uh, yeah, really pleased with it. Beautiful camera. Yeah. Well, you're doing so. Folks, go to again. Just point you to John's John's uh, website, really, for most of those uh, most of those images. Um, fantastic stuff. Um, well, I've got my list of sort of ideas to talk about. Um, I think we've covered most of them. Um, we didn't really talk about the anamorphic uh, pipe bomb camera, but um, James has those for sale, and that's just kind of. That's just kind of really weird, isn't it? The sort of I mean, we've had we've talked about anamorphic pinhole photography on this show before, and um, you know, so folks are really interested. I suggest you go and look at James's site, Reality So Subtle, and look at his cylindrical uh, camera. Um, so if John, just to finish up with, then, um, if you're going to offer a someone wanting to get into pinhole photography in cities yeah. and they and I didn't know where to start, either with format or ideas, you know, which type. They're a bit sort of stuck. Do I have one with a center pinhole? Do I have one with a top and bottom pinhole? Do I have panoramic? I know you're going to say you've got to have panoramic, but what, what, would, you, um, what would you recommend someone who wants to get into cityscape pinhole photography? Top, t- really top tips. Top tips. Depends on the person, Andrew. Right? Mm. If you want to be innocuous, not really anybody noticing you, then six by six, right? Yeah. Uh, because they're very small, and I would choose one with a top rise on it as well as a, a center pinhole. Uh, if you're not too worried about that, then you can go for the six by seventeen, which will give you the vista. It will, it will give you the absolute everything you see in front of you, and the kind of in between for that would be the thirty-five millimeter panoramic, which there's many manufacturers out there that make them. But obviously, I would recommend the James Gerrans one because it's it's beautiful, well made, and it's so easy to fit into your pocket. Mm-hmm. What I would recommend when you get one of them is is get one of those L brackets, right? So you can easily, like if you've got an Arca Swiss holder, literally just pull it off and then tip it up, right? and uh, it makes it dead simple. So you can go from a vertical to a horizontal without moving your tripod. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And and put an extra uh, level on it. So put a level on the side if you're going to be shooting in vertical. Why? Why hasn't he already thought of that? Then come on, James. What's wrong with you? I don't know. There's something wrong with him. You know, he doesn't yes. have one. I have mm. spoken to him about it. It's the same mm. as his four five Z. There's no levels on it. Mm. I've got levels all around mine. Yeah. Oh, but everybody's different, not Because you can buy those little bubble, those little bubble levels that, that are designed to fit in your hot in your hot shoe, can't you? Yes, you they're can. Pretty, I, they're pretty neat. I I use the wee tiny ones and just super glue them on. Or yeah. the four five Z, I got a lovely uh, kind of metal one uh, with a, a kind of bullet in the middle, and that's absolutely mm. beautiful. Mm. But it's again, it's because I like my verticals to be vertical. Uh, and if I don't, then fair enough. That's because I choose it, but I, I'd prefer not to get it just quite wrong. Yeah. You know, just off a wee bit, I'd rather get it spot on. Okay, so there's some good tips. 
All right, Jen. So, what's um, when you come on again in four years' time? What do you? What, are you just? Is it just more the same? More pinhole photography? More chat? More travel? Have you got any destinations in mind that you'd like to go to with uh, pinhole panoramas? I don't know. We were, we were talking about going to Shanghai next year, mm. uh, but we'll wait and see if that that happens. Tokyo? Would, you wouldn't want to go to Tokyo? Yeah, I'll, I'll maybe get there sometime. I yeah. I don't know. I, Andrew, I, I will see where the weather takes me. Right? Yeah. By the weather, I mean what compels me. That's how I see my photography. Something I'm, I'm compelled to make work. Right? And I will use a format for a while, and then I'll maybe switch to another format, or I'll switch. Oh, that's to... interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you do tend to stick with one. Do you stick with one camera for a while and then? put it away and then move on to another one or do you find yourself hopping around i learn my camera mm -hmm. so I, I learn my 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 tool that i have i, I learn sort of the second nature yeah. and i i can visualize what i want with it and i would yeah. recommend that to anybody get used to the tool you've got right now if you want to go out of a day and take multiple cameras with you that's great but you need to be able to switch the mindset between the formats yeah uh, and that can be really difficult to do yeah i i i'm i'm with you on the i'm with you in principle and in theory on just taking one camera with you um but uh, like many of us i, I suspect um i, I fail <laughs> miserably yeah. with it really. yeah i i can take more than one one format with me and, and switch yeah but for a while i did struggle with it and I tend to stick to one or the other, but now I just take them and I'll find Yeah, them. I suppose, because, uh, thinking about it, I mean, I, I'm, I haven't got a whole host of different cameras, really, and I am pretty familiar with everything I've got, so I can easily switch, I think, and, and kind of know what I'm getting. So I suppose that's all right, isn't it? Yeah, as long as you know, but you need you to know. build up an acquaintance yeah. with your camera and yeah. Yeah, get used to it. All right, John. Well, that's some very helpful tips to uh, to finish on. John, where can um, what, what social media outlets these days are you um, are you st still frequenting? Maybe hanging on to um... X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm mm. still on X. Uh, for yeah, me moment. too for the moment. Yeah, uh, but I've I've finally protected my tweets this morning, uh, so I'm I'm now on there but protected. I'm on Blue Sky. Uh, I actually joined it about a year ago when it was really early, but I never used it. I never rejoined it. Uh, and I encouraged James to join it yesterday as well. Yeah. Uh, so I'm on there. I'm on Facebook. Literally anywhere. I, I'm all over it. All you do is just stick my name into Google and you'll find me. Yeah. You know, if you're really interested. And you should be, folks listening. If you're not familiar with John's work, go and listen to show 63 and find out more about the man and the... and. Um... And his background, and I've no idea what we talked about, but maybe we just talked about all the same things just now. I've no idea. Very unprofessional of me, but not to worry. One um, last thing, Andrew, mm -hmm. before we finish up, we didn't talk about Remjet on on the. Oh, didn't we? We oh. mentioned it, but not how oh, to yeah. to because it still scares people. Yeah. Uh, so so okay. So um, this is like the podcast extra now. We've uh, yeah. we've finished the podcast, but for listeners of the listener of the, of the uh, paid part of the podcast. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so th this is just for you, paid, okay? So if you're listening to this, thank you. Um, 
movie film has this backing on, doesn't it? Um, it does, yeah, it's carbon. Which, carbon, which you've got to remove. Go on then. How, how do you remove it? You can remove it beforehand. I, you know, you can yeah, you told me that, but that yeah. sounds like a right pain in the what's it. Oh, it's dead easy. You just buy the MJ remover. Yeah, but it. then you've got to you've got to take the film out and then re reload it all, haven't you? No, nothing like that, Andrew. Honestly, it's so simple. You get the MJ remover, you put it in the tank, you give it a good sugar, right, for about thirty seconds or whatever, up to a minute, and then basically just rinse it. Right? Oh, so but you, you know, you're talking about after the film's been exposed, though, aren't you? Yeah, after the, the film's been exposed, not yeah, before. No, I, yeah, that's what I thought you were talking. I thought you were talking about removing it before you put it in your camera. Oh, I thought, well, that's just that, that's just daft. That would be daft. I have considered that. Uh, well, you, I'd I'd have to start, I'd have to live in the dark room for about a day until it dried and then come out. Yeah, exactly. So I don't have time for that in my life. <laughs> so you get the remover remover and do it when you're developing it. Heat it oh yeah, in the bottle. tank. Okay, yeah, and that's that's all right. Or you can do it at the end and rub it off. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Mike Rasso in on the Film Photography Podcast, I mean, he just said, puts it in a bucket with some warm water. I don't, I think that's all it and uses his thumb, he says. Yeah, that's, I do that as well at the end of it, because sometimes you will have some. A bit left. Around. Yeah, mm -hmm. then you just rub it off. But if you don't take it off before you do the, the developing, it will turn your chemicals rather dark. Yeah, uh, and that can get a bit scary looking. Uh, so, so when you've got it, when you've loaded it into your um, into your Patterson tank or your Jobo tank or other tank, you've got AP tank. You know, you, you do the remjet removal first. Yeah, do it first. Yeah, um, uh, and then give it a good rinse before you stick your. I don't know what the remjet remover is, but do you have to be really careful about rem getting rid of it all before you stick your developer in, or does it not matter too much? Not at all, because film. So it's not mm. on the emulsion. So it doesn't really matter, but it does yeah, matter if true. you're planning it, right? Because, yeah. Or printing it, because you need to get it all off. Or yeah. yeah. So when it comes out, you might need to give it a bit of extra work with your thumb. Yeah, do that before you put the stabiliser in. So oh, okay. after yeah. the fix, right, you can do it before the stabiliser. Don't do it after the stabiliser, because that's stabilised the film, and it, it tends to not come off as well then. Doesn't it not? Okay. No, it's not good, but it's very, it's very dirty. Make sure you wear gloves with it because yeah. that stuff does not come out of any cracks you've got in your fingers. Ooh. Okay. Right, mate. Thank you so much. Um, it's been lovely to catch up with you. Thank you. It's been lovely talking to you again. Mm. And one oh, day it'll be lovely to meet time. up. We need to have a photo walk in the middle of the country somewhere and meet up. Yeah. Do you know, weirdly enough, I'm not into photo walks. Yeah. Unless it's just like one on one, but see these yeah. kind of big groups, I can't do them. Yeah, I don't mind them. I went on one recently. This is this is the extra extra section for the paid <laughs> subscribers of the podcast. I went on one recently um, in London for start of or the end of Holger Week, and there was thirty thirty people, it was, and it was. Um, I got a free roll of film because it was sponsored by Analog Wonderland, so it was worth going. But I met up with a few old faces, and invariably you can't speak to everybody, so I'm. I chatted to a few folks and people I'd known for a while, um, but I am going on another one um, organised by um, uh, by George Flanner, Flan, Flanner. How do you say that on the streets, George yeah. Griffin? And we're going. It's, it's, it's only ten people, which is quite intimate, really. And it sounds a very interesting little walk we're going on in November. Mm -hmm. So again, a few people. So it's um, it's it's a good way of being social, and I'm not terribly social really. So it has to force me out, you know. My comfort zone and go and, uh, go 
and talk to people. I'm a very sociable person, but 30 people would be, a, would be an overload for me. I, I couldn't. My brain wouldn't cope with us too many yeah. Yeah, but you will wander off. I mean, to be honest, you you know you what we did there was we we walked to a sort of different spots around London, and then we everyone wandered off by themselves, you know, and then we met up again twenty minutes later. So right. okay, that you know. could work. Yeah, and I like yeah. the ones Emma was doing. You were talking to her about yeah, uh, in fact, she's doing them with ladies to help them. Yeah, that's really yeah. good, isn't it? Yeah, because a lot of the time it is just guys that turn up. It is, yeah. That could be really intimidating if you're a, mm. a lady or mm-hmm. if you're someone younger who's wanting to get into the hobby. Mm. It, it can be really intimidating if you got all these old guys. Like all these old farts, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, John. It's brilliant. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, well, whatever the next uh, year holds for you, have a good one. And thank you so much for being um, our latest guest on the Lenses Podcast. Well, mate, thank you very much for having me. Okay. Yeah. Cheers, John. Bye bye now. Bye.